again and again, love wins. The great promise of this day, of Easter Sunday, is the promise that love wins. At the end of all time, at the end of all ends, love will win. Again and again, love wins. A cynic might say, how can you say this? Have you looked at the world? The violence, the war, the ugliness that seems to be everywhere? Have you looked at our own country? All the problems and concerns and issues that we're facing these days, how can you possibly say love wins? It's a fair question. Even on that first Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, Mary Magdalene and the other woman named Mary have come to the garden tomb not looking for a resurrected Christ. They're there to anoint his body, to put into the practice of their culture of caring for the body after death. They're looking only for a corpse. They're not expecting to see Jesus. It's a fair question. How could we possibly believe that love wins? And yet this story helps us see the power of love, that love indeed will win. They make their way into the, into the garden, and suddenly the Greek says there's a seismos. Do you hear the word seismic there? It literally means earthquake. There's an earthquake and it shakes the whole garden. Suddenly they, they turn around and they see the tomb and the stone has been rolled away and sitting on top of that stone is an angel, a man dressed in clothes as white as snow, as brilliantly as bright as a, as a flash of lightning. And he's sitting on the stone as a kind of a way of saying to death, this is all you've got? This is the best you can do? Heaven's in charge now. It's a beautiful scene, an amazing one. And then the angel says to the women, to the two Marys, words that are spoken in Scripture more than any others, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for he is risen. And then he sends them. He sends them to go and share this word, to share this good news. Do you hear that? Do you hear what that's happening there? He's ordaining them as evangelists, as apostles, as preachers. The very first preacher of the Christian gospel were, preachers were women. In case you were wondering whether or not women can preach. It's been true for 2,000 years. It's taken us a while for many Christians to catch up to that singular, singular truth. But then as they leave to go and tell this good news, they run into Jesus. And he says to them in the Greek, kairate, which is translated in our English Bibles as greetings. It's a terrible translation. Kairate is supposed to mean, hi, it's great to see you. Can you believe how amazing and wonderful this day is? It's unbelievable what's happened. It has that kind of energy and, and enthusiasm. When you're having a great, exciting day and something unexpected has happened, do you go over to your family or your neighbors and say, greetings? <laughs> no one talks that way. In fact, I, in fact, I saw the best ever unintentional interpretation of the Greek word kairate by my friend Kevin Harlan. Do you, do you recognize that name? He, was this, he is a, a sports announcer for CBS. He was calling the game between a 13-ranked Furman University team versus Virginia, a four seed, a number four seed. At the end of the game, Furman, unbelievably, is still in the game. They should have been blown out. Unbelievably, they steal a pass. They make a quick pass over to the right side with the one or two seconds left, a Furman player drains a three-point shot. It's pandemonium on the court, and Kevin, in a great call, said, did we just see what I think we saw? Wow! 
I sent him an email right after and said, that's Carite. Brilliant. Kevin's a member of the church I served in Kansas City and as, as much of, as great of an announcer as he is, he's an even greater person. That's the news of this day. That's the excitement of Easter Sunday. Kairate, can you believe it? The unbelievable has happened. The unexpected has occurred. Jesus is alive. Again and again. Love wins. Again and again. Love wins. Those two words have been made popular in our culture, especially among preachers like Sarah and me and our other clergy on our staff and churches like ours, by a man named Rob Bell, a great preacher. He wrote a book of the same title nine or 10 years ago, Love Wins. It's a great book, I highly recommend it. He was heavily criticized by some folks on the other side of the theological fence though, for having the temerity to suggest that in the end of all ends, love will win, that all of us will be caught up all of us, and all means all, all of us will be caught up in the arms of God's eternal and undying love. It's a beautiful promise. Where did Rob get this from? From Easter Sunday. From the angel who said to the women, do not be afraid. From Jesus who also said to the women, do not be afraid. From those words that are heard more often in the Bible than any other words, do not be afraid. He, Rob knows that if we can live leave fear behind, if we can let fear be let go of, if we can stop allowing it to cloud our vision and our view of the world, love then might actually light our path and give us strength and hope for today and tomorrow and for as many days as we have left. Rob got it where? From the book of Revelation, chapter 21, where, where it said, where John writes that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. In the end of all ends, at the end of all time, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and God will make all things, all things new, and there will be no more crying, no more weeping, no more mourning, no more grief, sorrow, pain, or death, for God will make all things new. Again and again, love wins. I believe that, not just because I've read about it in Rob's book, not just because I've studied the Bible and experienced that idea from the pages of Scripture, I believe it because I've seen it. Even in the midst of tragedy and terror. Nine years ago on Palm Sunday, a white supremacist, and by the way, let's be careful to define a white supremacist. It is a volatile and dangerous mix of hatred and ignorance. This white supremacist made his way to South Kansas City, to the Jewish community center there, with the intent to kill Jews. He pulled into the parking lot, Palm Sunday afternoon, was packed, pulled out of the, into the parking lot, got out of his car, went up to the first car that he saw and shot a man who was the driver and the young high school kid who was sitting next to him, a grandfather and a grand grandson. The irony of this moment, the terrible irony, is that this man was there to kill Jews and he did not realize that he was killing two members of the Church of the Resurrection, two Christians, members of the church that my friend Adam pastors. Not long after that, he shot another person. She too was a Christian, a member of a Roman Catholic church. It was amazing how ignorance fueled his hatred. 
Because the Jewish Community Center in Kansas City is one of the most diverse places you'll ever see in the world. There are Jews and Christians and Muslims and Sikhs and Hindus and, and, and atheists and even Baptists and all kinds of folks can be found. Can, thank you, that was a joke, yes. <laughs> People of all kinds of political stripes, this, that, and the other thing can be found there. Our two sons, our oldest, Nate, was a member of a running club that met two days a week at the Jewish Community Center where they ran around the track. Uh, every, every single, those two days a week, our son Stephen went to many bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs there. It's an amazing place. My friend Rabbi Art Nemetov, who used to be here in Columbus, is the executive director of, of the Jewish Community Center. It's an unbelievably wonderful place. On Thursday of that week, we held a service of memory and hope. And again, you could see the diversity in the crowd. Faces of different colors different religions, cram-packed just like this morning, jammed into that space. They had, they had spillover spaces for people to watch on video screens because they didn't have enough to, to ex accommodate everyone who was there. I spoke on behalf of the Christian community. My friend Adam spoke on behalf of the ones who lost their lives. Rabbi Art led the service. Eric Holder, who was the Attorney General at the time, he was there as well, confirming for us that the United States will never, never stop fighting the scourge of racism. Then on the next day, Good Friday, my friend Adam would, would be leading the funerals for the grandson and the grandfather whose lives were lost. Word got out though, that Westboro Baptist, and I have many great friends who are Baptists. We're not talking about those. Do you know about Westboro Baptist? that church that shows up at funerals with signs that say God hates and I won't give any credit to the third word. It's a disgusting word. They were planning to picket that funeral because Church of the Resurrection is an open and affirming church where all of God's children are welcome regardless of their, of their sexuality or anything else. But then word got out to Reet Underwood, that's the young boy who was killed. It got out to Reet's classmates at Blue Valley High School where he attended, that, that the Westboro Baptist people were showing up pretty soon through texts and social media and phone calls. Hundreds of kids from all the high schools in the Blue Valley area were organizing a counter protest. They showed up, hundreds of them showed up before the funeral began and stood in front of all of the Westboro Baptist people with their own handmade signs that said, love, wins. They wanted to cover up those hateful signs so that the family and friends could arrive at the funeral to remember the lives of their loved ones without seeing that ugliness. In the service, my friend Adam used the text from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Romans 12, 21. Overcome evil with good overcome evil with good. Mindy Corcoran, the daughter of the man and the, and the mother of the boy, of the two, of the ones who were killed, heard that text. She heard it clearly. Oh, she still carries the wound of grief in her soul even to this day. That grief will never go away. She names it and understands that it's a part of who she is now, but she wasn't going to let that be the last word. She took that word from the old apostle, seriously, overcome evil with good. She set up a foundation called the seven C's. Their simple call to educate people about kindness. 
Nine years later, tens and tens of thousands of adults and children have gone through their kindness program to discover that we can overcome evil with good. You know, it's the great Baptist preacher, Tony Campolo, who says that most of the world yearns not for some powerful miracle from heaven to come down. No, what they really want to see more than anything else is Christians like us, like you and me, taking this call to love seriously, expressing it in our lives, not just in our words, but in our actions, giving ourselves over to that beautiful, beautiful promise of God's love made real. Sometimes, though, sometimes, maybe too many times, it's hard for us to let go of fear. In light of that tragic day on Palm Sunday nine years ago and so many other things, we, we, we still have a tendency to, to hang on to fear almost as a, as a welcomed friend rather than a foe. It's a fear that can cause us to, to be blind to the love that's right around us to the love that people are waiting to receive from us, that are, that the love that people are ready to give to us from friends and family, co-workers and neighbors. That fear oftentimes blocks us. I, I wonder if it's like a stone almost has been rolled over in front of our minds and we can't see. There's an Anglican priest named R.S. Thomas who brought this idea to mind. He has kind of a bleak outlook on, on life, even though he's an ordained pastor. But Father Thomas wrote a beautiful poem about Easter. I want to share a stanza with you. Put it up there. There have been times when, after long on my knees, in a cold chancel, a stone has rolled from my mind. And I've looked in and seen the old questions lie folded and in a place by themselves, like the piled grave clothes of love's risen body. Guys, leave that up there for a moment. A stone has rolled from my mind. What's the name of the stone that is blocking your mind, blocking your vision, blocking your ability to receive love? Is it fear? Is it named resentment or a desire for revenge? What's the stone that's blocking you from both giving and receiving the love that every one of us in this one life needs? Sometimes, indeed, we are our own worst enemy, aren't we? Sometimes we let fear or the desire for revenge or resentment or frustration or anxiety or, or a host of other stones that we could name, we allow those, those stones to block our view, to, to, to keep us from receiving and giving love, and sometimes it's our own stinking fault that we cause these things to happen. Don't raise your hand or don't, and don't nod your head, but have you ever done something stupid that as soon as you did it, you thought, boy, I, it's my fault. I, I, yeah. There's a couple of hands down here in the front row. This is the honest row right here. <laughs> Yeah, my hand is up for a reason, too. I remember another March Madness. This was several years ago. It was the first day, Thursday, when all the games were being played. Thursday is also my sermon writing day, so I made a promise to my boys. I said, I'm going to try to get my sermon done today by noon. I'll be home in time. You can cut school in the afternoon. We'll watch games together. We'll order a couple pizzas. We'll watch games through the night. Your mom will be home early. She loves basketball, too. Let's do it. It'll be fun. They said, sure. Any reason to get out of school, they're fine. 
So I went to the office and I started working on my sermon, but I, I procrastinated that week. I hadn't done the research that I needed to do. It just wasn't coming together. Noon came, and then 1 o'clock, and then 3 o'clock. Finally at 5, five hours after I promised when I would be home, I, I hit the print command, and my printer printed out my manuscript. Well, now I was in a hurry to get home, and so I ran down the stairs outside of my office to go out towards to, to my car to get in and drive home, but I missed the last step. My left knee planted awkwardly. It bowed out approximately six feet out from my body. <laughs> I may have uttered a profane silent prayer right then, too. <clears throat> it, hurt, it hurt pretty bad. It's a 20-minute drive home. By the time I got home, my knee was the size of a cantaloupe. I was angry at myself. I was frustrated, upset. I was in pain. I hurt. When I parked my car in the garage and went into the house, the cat had the nerve to cut right in front of me. I said, get out of my way, Jazzy, and she scurried along. And then our, our yellow lab, who's the sweetest dog in the history of humankind, he comes and he greets me with his yellow, his, his big tail just wait, wagging, happy to see me. Zeke, I don't have time for you. He drops his head and goes, hides in his crate. I come around the corner, there's our boys in the family room, home already, and they're not even watching the basketball game. So I yelled at them. And then I came upon my wife, Julie, and I said something mean to her, and I went upstairs to change my clothes. Julie, my wife, quietly, and calmly, in an irritating way, <laughs> followed me up the stairs. She said, what's going on? I said, I'm an idiot. She said, well, at least we have something to agree on. <laughs> Don't raise your hand. But how many? How many of us find that sometimes we are our own worst enemy. My friend Scott, a good preacher, says that too often the past is the CEO of our present, blocking our view of the future. Too often we drag those old resentments, we drag those old desires for revenge, we drag that fear and we put that stone right in front of us and then we wonder, why can't we see? Why can't we find the love that we so desperately want to receive, that we so desperately need to give away? Why can't we? Steve Leader is a good rabbi out in, in, in Los Angeles. He, he, he says that Judaism and Christianity are his two favorite religions because they're future-oriented. Oh yes, they re remember and honor the past, learn from whatever mistakes may be as a part of our faith as well, but they don't remain there. Jesus is in the garden not saying, let's just stay here and have a party. What does he say to the women? Now go and tell. Go and live. Go and be the beloved one of God you're called to be. It's a beautiful promise. It's what this day is about. Again and again. Love wins. Finally this. Several years ago, I was preaching at a Good Friday service. I was not the one who wrote the liturgy. I was preacher for the day, and that was all. They began the service in an unusual way. A soloist, a, a man with a beautiful tenor voice. His name was Gennaro Mendez. He walked out to the center of the chancel. No other words had been spoken. There was no prelude, no, no choir, no liturgy yet. This was the very first thing in this Good Friday service, and he began a solo, unaccompanied, singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. I was perplexed. 
It's Good Friday. We, we don't sing amazing grace on, on Good Friday. This is the day we face the ugliness of the cross. As, as he sang, he did like a good performer would do and tried to connect with, with the room. Even at one point looked at me where I was sitting off to his right. As he sang, though, the more I got caught up in the moment, the more I felt the need to experience that grace, the grace that he was singing of in such a familiar and yet unusual place. When the service was over, he came and found me, and he said, Pastor, I, I saw your face. It seemed like you were confused. May I tell you why I chose that, that hymn? I said, oh, I, I love it. It's okay. He said, no, let me, let me, let me share, please. He said, on Good Friday, when we face the ugliness of the cross, we see a reflection of ourselves. We need grace to make it through Good Friday. And we need grace to make it from Good Friday to Easter Sunday. And we need grace to make it from Easter Sunday to every day. Pastor, that's why I sang. Pastor, that's why I sang Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Because it is grace that fuels love. It is grace that empowers us to receive and give our love away. It is grace that gives us the courage we need to walk on love's path. Again and again. My friends, again and again, love. Love. Again and again, love.